Have you ever been told that something will happen and you need to be prepared for it? Sure you have. That is why we have such things as fire drills. We believe the probability of a fire or earthquake or hurricane is high because we have experienced them or know someone that has. We have certainly heard about them and we believe at some point we will experience them again. You know, the prophecy of Christ Jesus coming, our Savior, was certain. His first advent was critical. It was central to our salvation, and it was vital that we be ready. The book of Leviticus, or some have called it the law of sacrifice or the law of the priests, contains instructions that will enable us to understand better the rule of faith, and when followed, teaches us the character of Christ and how to be ready for his second coming. How, you may ask, by providing basic instructions on how to have a healthy relationship with our God and our fellow brothers and sisters. The Apostle John puts it this way, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God even them that believe on his name. You can find that in John 1.12. But before we go any further, I know that many people listening to this podcast may not believe that God's law, as laid out in Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy, is no longer binding on the Christian today. I respect your position. However, please consider that a king must have rules that govern his kingdom We need to know what is expected of us. We need to know that there are regulations and standards of conduct to be upheld. We are to stand apart from those who do not believe or follow Christ. How else will anyone be able to tell the difference between followers of Christ and them who do not? And believe me, people are looking for those who are true to principle. Though the heavens fall, The Apostle John puts it this way in John 17. I pray not that thou take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Someone once said that laws are meant to be broken. And many are okay with this until the law is broken and it directly affects them. For example, a loved one is murdered or a child is abused, which is a violation of the six and eight commandments because when someone is abused, someone has stolen something from you and the violation can cause the spirit of a person to die or be broken or your house is broken into and valuables are stolen. Once again, this is a violation of the eighth commandment. What happens when someone says something against you? A defamation of character. This is a violation of the ninth commandment. What about the third commandment? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in vain. When we violate this commandment, whatever we do, whatever we say that brings dishonor upon God's name and his character is a violation of this law. Are we still okay with the law being done away with? We serve a God, a king, who has children and subjects who hope to reside with him in his eternal kingdom one day. God is sovereign and king 
and I am being redundant on purpose, okay? The difference is that God and his laws are perfect, that govern his kingdom. David puts it this way in Psalm 19, starting with verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. He further says in Psalms 119, starting with 96, I have seen an end of all perfection, but thy commandments is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all day long. Now, the primary purpose of Leviticus is the following. To instruct us of the law that governs the worship of our creator and king. Remind us of the seriousness and consequences of sin and its devastating effect on the world. And how it affects our relationship with our creator. However, by living out the principles taught in God's law, we may once again reflect the character of our Creator, our King, because it informs us why Jesus had to come. And lastly, it prepares us for His second coming. Leviticus is a book of instructions, once again, given to us by the priest, whose job was to teach the people the law and the law that governs worship. They didn't make up these laws because they were given to us through Moses by the hand of God. The priests carried out daily and yearly worship services related to the sanctuary. You may look at the sanctuary system and services as an active parable designed to make the Lord's coming real, reminding us daily why he had to come and why he is coming again and how we can worship him who has done so much for us. Unfortunately, after years of waiting, the children of Israel lost the true meaning of worship and the laws that govern the worship of our king. So by the time Jesus comes on the scene, they are not prepared and do not know him. We find this in John 1, where it says, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Since the book of Leviticus is central to worship, let's define worship. And once again, the principle we're looking at today is, Worship him who is and is to come. So the word worship means to bow down, to show respect, the bowing of the knee before the throne of God is acknowledging his sovereignty, his right to rule and govern our lives and the world. Worship is an acknowledgement of God's power and authority. We declare he is vital and central to our lives and we honor him. When we worship the Lord, we further acknowledge that we are hopeless and helpless without him. When we bow our knee and our hearts before the Lord, we serve him and declare our allegiance and our dependency upon him. We acknowledge his power to save and salvage our sinful souls. This is why Paul said in Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation 
to everyone that believe. Worship is acknowledging that we cannot be right before God on our own. We need a Savior. We need Jesus Christ. And through worship, we say yes to him and his word. Think of it this way. If we believe that God is all-powerful and all-knowing, wouldn't it stand to reason that he knows how he wants to be worshipped? What pleases him? Therefore, it is not up to us to decide how he is to be worshipped. That has already been decided for us. But the question is, will we follow it? Now, what we sometimes confuse is worship and praise. Worship is to bow the knee before God. Praise is to look up to God. Therefore, we must first worship before we can praise. We must acknowledge that we need our Savior before we can praise Him for being our Savior. The Bible is clear when it says in Psalm 61, 18, If we regard iniquity in our heart, He will not hear from us. Now, this is rather sobering. And God is clear, because to regard means to bend or twist or distort the law of God. Iniquity is a violation of the law. When we regard iniquity in our hearts, it's like we put our hands over our ears so that we cannot hear the Holy Spirit saying anything to us about sin. Therefore, we are refusing to listen to the Holy Spirit, who alone can provide us with his grace to keep the law. When we continually grieve the Holy Spirit, God is not under obligation to hear our worship or our praise. How does worship help the adult diagnosed with dyslexia? Good question. There is another question I think is also worth exploring. What does worship do for us? The Apostle Paul says the following. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul uses the word service to remind us that we are to give back to God in service a total surrender of ourselves. He goes on to say that this is only accomplished when we renew our minds daily. That is achieved through the Word of God. Now remember, we must be sober and hear God's Word. And remember, we must be a doer and a hearer of God's Word. And this can be found in James Chapter 1. Now, as we reflect on this third principle, worship him who is and is to come. I highly recommend that you put dyslexia in the center of this truth about Christ and who he is and the fact that he's coming again. When we do this, we will look at dyslexia differently. In other words, Christ takes center stage when we worship him. And everything else, including dyslexia, must take a backstage. Therefore, it stands to reason that we should always have an attitude of worship.